Hey everyone, Clay here. Just wanted to let you know my graphic novel Bloody Hell is now for sale in stores and on Amazon. So if you'd like to help support the show, get yourself a copy of that. Thanks so much. Here's the show. Picture show the horror movie podcast where we talk about movies off the Rotten Tomatoes 200 best horror movies of all time list. My name is Clay, and with me, as always, is Amanda. How are you doing, Amanda? Oh, I'm great. I'm not on any barbiturates yet. Uh, no one's locked me in a room yet. <laughs> Everything's fine. How are you? Good. Once we synchronize ah, our yes. drug intake and also uh, outtake, out what's it, what's it called when you kick drugs? Uh, when you kick <sighs> detox? There you go. Sure. Yeah. Once we're, see, now we're synchronized. <laughs> it's already happening. Yes. Uh, yes, of course. We are today talking about <clears throat> number 166 on wow. our list. David Cronenberg's Dead Ringers from 1988. It has an 83% Rotten Tomatoes score. Had you seen wow. this before? Okay, so I had, mm-hmm. but I did not remember 90% of it. Oh, okay. Um, what what did you remember from it? Just I, out of curiosity. I remembered them dying at the end. <laughs> That's pretty I, much it. I was kind of hoping you were going to say, I remembered them achieving a lot at school very early. <laughs> I remember them being extraordinarily precocious uh, mm-hmm. 10-year-olds mm-hmm. in their mm-hmm. Toronto neighborhood, even though they have British accents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, really. I I think I remember that it was like, um, hey, the queen's on their money, man. Uh, yeah, I guess so. It's just back then it was normal. Yeah. Um, I had the impression that there were more mutants in this movie. Oh, because he the whole thing is he's he's all like, oh, their their bodies are wrong and all of that. Right. And I feel like I maybe conflated this with other Cronenberg movies and yes. was just like, yeah, some of that. This is not a mutant-heavy Cronenberg movie. No. Um, One might argue there are zero mutants in this. Yeah, I guess it depends on how you define mutant and how much of an <laughs> asshole you want to be when you do it. <clears throat> and we know for you that's maximum asshole. <laughs> it depends on the, it depends on the person. Um, yeah, I had seen this. I've seen this maybe twice before. Um, okay. It's been a long time. Uh, I think I, I think we might have watched this one year for one of our... Uh, um, movie marathons yeah i don't I don't think i knew you guys very no. well for for most of those I no think i maybe caught the last one or two yeah we stopped doing that in 2012 unfortunately yeah yeah the, we used to do it on the the dates that all lined up so oh we like, did the first one on 6 6 2006 etc oh, etc so you could have done two 22 22 i wanted to man i tried to get jim to do it but first of all there was a covid flux again and then i think maybe Lies, a snowstorm and slander. then it was also on a tuesday this is they're just making excuses. and he's got kids and uh, so i mean 
They need to see some Cronenberg. I think so. <laughs> anyway, um, <clears throat> we're going to take a quick break, play the trailer for you, and then we will talk about a Dead Ringers. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Beverly Mantle. By every scientific measure, they are absolutely the same. They share everything. You haven't had any experience until I've had it too. Bev, you've got to try the movie star. She's unbelievable. Doctor, you've cured me. You mean to say there's two of them? They're twins, dear. I think we should drop her, Bev. You drop her. I'm in love with her. Can't be love if it does this to you, can it? Doctor, I think there's something wrong with you. Patients are getting strange. What are they? For working on mutant women. From David Cronenberg, who in The Fly made the fantastic real. Get him out of here! Radical technology was required. Something radical is definitely required. Now, David Cronenberg makes reality the ultimate fantasy. Dead Ringers. Separation can be a, a terrifying thing. Okay. Dead Ringers from 1988, number 166 on our list. 83% Rotten Tomatoes score. Directed by David Cronenberg, written by David Cronenberg, starring Jeremy Irons, Jeremy Irons, Genevieve Bougeau, Heidi Von Paleski, with a cameo by the guy from Scanners and twin call girls Cora and Mimsy, one of whom went on to become ADA Claire Kincaid on Law and Order. Oh. Yeah. Huh. Amanda, what happens in Dead Ringers? Elliot, a successful gynecologist, works at the same practice as his identical twin, Beverly. Elliot is attracted to many of his patients. Sorry, that's a really weird way to phrase that. Yeah, that's... This isn't. This is a summary. You're also gonna just have that face okay. on the whole time. Sure. Uh, Elliot is attracted to many of his patients and has affairs with them. He inevitably loses interest and then will give the women the woman over to Beverly, the meeker of the two, without the woman knowing the difference. Beverly falls hard for one of the patients, Claire, but when she inadvertently deceives him, he slips into a state of madness. <laughs> um this is i know i give i give these kind of pre-written synopsis synopsi synopsises a hard time but th- this yeah. one is really just i'm like did you watch the movie well though? a plus for length because uh mm-hmm. i just copy and paste those when i put them in our write-up and i need yeah. to hit, i need to hit 300 words however <laughs> i can get there so <clears throat> a plus yeah, so you hate the ones where it's just like a detective must solve a murder. I do. I really do not like those. Um, <laughs> I don't know how you inadvertently deceive somebody. That's that's part of what made me laugh really hard about that because yeah. it's such a uh, it's such an interesting way of viewing what happens between Beverly and Claire in this movie. I just don't even know how you do that. Don't you? Wouldn't you she, need to? Uh, she would have needed to do something, and she didn't. Well, but I mean, like, isn't. <laughs> <clears throat> how doesn't deception require intent so i yeah so 
Yes. How would one inadvertently deceive? So you kind of have to That's, want to do yeah. it, I would say. Yep. She would have had to decided to do something. Yeah. Which she didn't do. Well, I guess we know whose side the person who wrote that is on here. <laughs> um, also, I, I really enjoy the focus on Elliot, who is yes. really not in the movie that much. I mean, he's in the he movie. Is, like, he's just not the driving force behind 99% of what Yeah, happened. and the stuff that was focused on in that write-up mm-hmm. is is just it's like... It's like Elliot, the hero of our film, is yeah. successful. And it's a lot of stuff that <laughs> arguably happens off-screen. Like, it's like yes. yeah, we, we understand that he hooks up with his patients. But right, but it's like, not like... It's not part of the... It's not like the main plot. Yes. Like this, anyway. Yeah. That's like also saying, like, Elliot, who went to medical school... Right. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, Clay, some things you'll find in this movie include... Mm-hmm. Kids who don't even know what fuck is. Who does, really? <laughs> not David Cronenberg. Um, <laughs> oh, we are going to talk about that. <laughs> yes, Trust me. Yes, we are. Uh, interior decorating by the mom from Beetlejuice. It was across the board. Every, Every room that anyone ever was in. Yeah. Delia Dietz. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for remembering that she was Delia because I could not and it was going to drive me crazy. They even had like those weird mm. sculptures and shit like the, the yeah. tools. The tools even look oh, like yeah. sculptures. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 100% Tim Burton made those tools. <laughs> uh You'll also find sex, I think. I think I think so. I think. Whatever they were doing with those surgical tubes and, and clamps, clamps. Yeah. It looked like more work than it was worth, frankly. Yeah, they should have just gotten in the water. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh you'll also find gynecological instruments for working on mutant women. Yes. That's that sounds like the name of a book. Yeah, it it's does. It's like a great name for a novel. It's a really good uh, theme for an art show. Yes, or, yeah. or an art show, yeah. Uh, a grown man crying about ice cream. I've been there, man. I mean, I I have too. Like when you open up As the freezer. You open the freezer. <laughs> hey, I need yeah. something to identify in this movie with too, okay? <laughs> you open the freezer yeah. and you, you, op- you get the Neapolitan ice cream and all the chocolate's gone and you don't want vanilla and you don't want strawberry. That's when you cry. I see. Thank you for explaining that to me. Uh, and the on-screen result of what I can only assume was highly questionable off-screen parenting. Yeah, not directly. Yeah. Um, I think contextually, maybe you could I, draw that conclusion. Yeah. My argument with that one was I I just can't see how you end up with brothers like that without something having gone pretty wrong in their childhood. Or counterpoint maybe they're just british <laughs> from canada yes <laughs> you know those canadian brits mm. um okay so yes. this movie is <laughs> number 166 on our list and, i am boggled and i bring that up because i think maybe we should just jump right into this element because i don't actually know how you begin to classify this movie I I don't know, but it's uh, like I think of American Psycho as more of a horror movie than this. Okay, interesting. I don't know why. Yeah. I, I I I just there's something about this that I I feel like this movie is just so sad. Yes. Yeah, so it's like, very it's sad. A very yes. very yeah. sad movie, and it's about a very tender and sad boy who never grew up. 
Yes, a couple of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well spe- especially especially them, yeah. Beverly. Elliot's a little bit of a sociopath. Yes. Yeah. Um. Very very Bateman like actually. Yes. Yeah. But even then, he's a tender Bateman. <laughs> <laughs> I can feel Wes selecting sensual, these quotes out Bateman. of of this episode already. Uh, but but yeah, it's it's a really it's a really interesting movie from that standpoint because like David Cronenberg, I feel like occupies a very similar space to David Lynch, yeah, where they kind of almost have their own genres, yeah. Um, yeah. Lynch probably more uh, well known because he's got his own adjective. There's there's not really <laughs> I, well Cronenberg has become an adjective. In the last like maybe ten years or so, more widely used because like yeah, it was big on Rick and Morty. They you know they had yes. the Cronenberg horrors <laughs> we, and stuff. We made them. We we Cronenberged them. Yes, isn't that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But there's like there is a very specific kind of creepiness that comes along with a David Cronenberg movie that I don't know if you can always call horror, but a lot yeah. of his movies are generally classified that way. Yes, and generally what you get. <clears throat> And I, I was wondering, I thought maybe this might be sort of, he's kind of got two halves to his career. Mm-hmm. He's got the, the bo- Elliot half and the Beverly half. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. He's got the body horror half. Mm-hmm. And then he also has the still kind of unnerving, but really not much body horror anymore half where he's just mm-hmm. doing these like really kind of weird psychological uh, thrillers and dramas. Yeah. And I was, I thought my memory was that this movie was kind of like where that line is drawn, but I was looking at, looking up at his uh, filmography and it's, it's a lot, um, it's a lot more of a gradual change than I remember it being. Yeah. So this is 1988. He still hasn't done Naked Lunch. He still hasn't done, he hasn't done, at this point he's done. Uh, the Fly, Dead Zone, Videodrome, Scanners, The Brood, Rabid, and Shivers, which are all yeah. pretty easily classifiable, if you want to, as horror movies. Right. After this is Naked Lunch, M. Butterfly, which hmm. is a really interesting movie. I don't know if you've ever seen that one. No. Are you, have you, do, do you know this? I can't remember if it's a play or if it's a... If, um, I think it's a play. It's one of those weird things. A play or an opera or something like that? Yeah, yeah. It's one of those weird things where I believe it is a play that is based on... Inside the play, there is the secondary play of yeah. Madam Butterfly, which obviously yes. is, a, is a real play. Yes. But the whole story revolves around the main <laughs> character, who is Jeremy Irons in the movie, hmm. falling in love with the star of this production of Madam Butterfly, who is in the in the play in drag. It's actually a man. Mm. And it's a very, like, you know... Um, it's been a very long time since I've seen it, but it's it's he's basically falling in love with this character, not either not recognizing or not um, choosing not to recognize yeah. that he is in love with a man. And so <clears throat> there's a lot of weird kind of sexual politics and dynamics and stuff going on. Mm-hmm. It's a really, really interesting movie. Uh, <laughs> Crash, even more so. Yeah. Crash is a, is a movie about people who... Um, <sighs> do they get... Turned on by car crashes, I think, or something like that. <laughs> Hold on, I'll just probably. Read it real quick. <clears throat> I feel like that's this is one of the movies that I like. I watched like 
20 minutes of and then was like, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> After getting into a serious car accident, a TV director discovers an underground subculture of scarred, omnisexual car crash victims who use oh car God. accidents and the raw sexual energy they produce <laughs> to try to rejuvenate his sex life with his wife. Wow. There's like nothing sexier than some neck injuries and back pain. Kind of. I, I, <laughs> there is like a scene where basically people are just like tonguing each other's scars and shit. It's really, it's really weird. Um, and then he does Existence, <clears throat> which came out mm. the same weekend as The Matrix, I believe. And oh, actually, that's is, a bummer for him. Yeah, and it's actually a very <clears throat> similar concept. Uh, it's about. Um, it's basically about a world inside video games kind of essentially yeah very similar to the matrix but it's got a lot of cronenberg uh um flair to it i'm trying to remember if i saw that one it's got jude law in it oh i don't know <laughs> i don't know um and then after so from that point on he kind of existence is like his last out there science fiction horror type movie yeah and then so after that, he does Spider, which is a really interesting movie, but is pretty much just a, a, a straight kind of psychological drama. Okay. History of Violence, which okay. is an interesting movie. Eastern Promises. Oh. Uh, Dangerous Method, which is another psychosexual thing about um, who the fa- Freud and one of the other famous psychologists. I can't remember who. The other big one. Young? Yeah, I think so. Yes. That's, that's uh, the extent of my... Psychological knowledge. It is, yeah, Young and um, Sigmund Freud. And uh, then he's got, um, sorry, it keeps closing the tab on me here. Cosmopolis, which I actually haven't, I basically haven't seen anything after Dangerous <laughs> Method. <clears throat> but it's a lot of like, <clears throat> he, he, he definitely has a shift in his career. Yeah, away from the sort of, traditional horror trappings even as he made them untraditional in his own way but like the body horror the gore the special effects kind of stuff and towards the more psychological weirdness yeah and this movie dead ringers it's not the hard line but i do feel like this is really a transitional movie yeah well you said that the one he did right before this one was the fly yes yeah. yeah, you can see some of the same themes in this. Definitely, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like a markedly different movie overall. Like stylistically, just like in terms of how things are presented to you. I would love to know. I have not watched the trailer for this yet. I'm mm. really curious if this is marketed as from the director of The Fly. <laughs> because anybody who Probably. saw The Fly and then was like, oh man, this is going to be like that. yeah. Especially if they pull out anything about like the mutant women, right? In the yeah. which is probably what happened to me is I probably remember the trailer more than the movie. Yes, <laughs> like yeah. before I saw it this time around. But uh, but yeah, it's he's got a very distinct style. Um, this is much more of a pure Cronenberg movie than The Fly was. Yeah, and um, yeah, he's it's. Do you generally like his stuff? You know, I always think I'm going to like it mm-hmm. more than I do, and I always want to like it more than I do, mm-hmm. and I, I think I appreciate the fact that he has a really specific viewpoint. Mm. I also don't think he's ever met a human being. <laughs> <laughs> like, every movie of his I, 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 I have watched, it's 
really like the more cerebral and psychological he tries to be the less I can connect with it because I just Mm. feel like he has such niche concerns you know like he has very specific issues that he's grappling with and trying to work through and I don't think many people share them fair yeah (laughs) like not in the specific way he he does so so often when I watch his movies like they come off as really old to me Mm. like even this felt like early 80s to me rather than 88 like they just because I think that's my brain's way of trying to reconcile people's behavior and the way they talk and the way they act like it just everybody seems like aliens to me in his movies yeah yeah, he's definitely got a detachment um, yeah. that I find very fascinating. I, I do generally yeah. really like his movies. Um, I think the later ones um, tend to interest me less because I do really like when he gets that nice blend of messed up psychology and the body horror aspect. Right, and I and I think that's... I, I do... You know, like, I enjoy, like, Videodrome and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Because I think that the character's internal alienation is matched by an external alienation. Oh, sure, yeah. And so it makes sense that no one's acting like a human because half the things on screen aren't. Right. And and so I'm like, oh, okay, they're not, these are not people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas in a movie like Dead Ringers, like ostensibly everyone in this movie is supposed to be a real human. Right. And very right. few of them seem like real humans well he's he has this his characters tend to be um people who are trying to exist knowing whether correctly or incorrectly that Mm -hmm. there is something wrong with them yeah deeply deeply wrong with them yeah like there's a line In this, that I thought was really interesting, um, which was when Claire, the girl, I know we haven't really broached the movie yet, but yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a there's a line where uh, Claire, who's the the main love interest in this, if you can call her that, mm-hmm. says uh, when she d- finds out she can't have children, yeah, she says, um, uh, "I can't have children. When I die, I'm not going to be anything but dead." Right. And yeah. I was, that was like, whoa, that's a really intense line. I mean, I've never really thought about that, but I've kind of <laughs> thought about that, you know? <laughs> no, I definitely wrote that line down, yeah. too, because it is sort of like a... that is a, It's a very short line that encapsulates so much of somebody's internal beliefs and, like, personal philosophy sounds so, like, highfalutin mm-hmm. and, like, intentional, but it's more just, like, your, your sort of subconscious worldview of things. It says so much about that. So shortly. Yeah. Like, yeah. how you feel about life and death, how you feel about parenthood and children and sort of the biological imperative to have children. Like, it says a lot about those things extremely succinctly. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. kind of in a throwaway line in a movie. Yeah. And it's kind of, um, it's, his movies are kind of about people who are um, deeply uns. <laughs> I don't know if it's movies about people who are this way or if it's movies about him who is this way, but there is the characters generally are deeply unsettled about the natural order of things and the yes. concept of like being alive yes. and what what inhabiting a body actually means. They find 
deeply disturbing, or at least David Cronenberg finds it deeply I, disturbing. You know, I think, and I think that kind of goes to why his style is so recognizable and mm-hmm. and consistent, even in his more like psychological films. Is that I do think every film is is him. Like all of it's him, you right, know what I mean. Right, like yeah. all of it is him, kind of grappling with the horrors of being a human, like, right? Yeah, being kind of this ghost in the machine, but the machine is meat. Like, yes, <laughs> like he cannot stand it, and all of his movies are him trying to work out a way to get through it, or get around it, or get outside of it, or just not be just human anymore. Yeah, and he's. De- I would say another. Um, theme that runs through his movies up through this one and definitely up at least up through crash is uh he seems deeply fascinated and possibly scared Mm -hmm. of the mysteries of sex procreation and specifically the female body i was gonna (laughs) say you can just end this sentence with women yes because (laughs) you've got the fly which is all about kind of like creation and and the horror of creating this new thing and her possibly giving birth to a a, a fly monster yeah fly monster about abortion and whatever uh the brood is very much about procreation and 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 uh uh female reproduction uh, Shivers is a, basically a movie about uh, an STD that will <laughs> ca- turn people into monstrous zombies. Yep. Rabid is essentially about a vampire who kills through sex and like a vagina shaped mouth on her arm. Wow. You know, it, don't know that one. <laughs> yeah, it's it's real. It's interesting. Yeah. But there is a, I think that whole kind of thing really is this is sort of the magnum opus i think of his um what are women and also why yeah because (laughs) i think i actually so i know you have a lot of thoughts on this movie but i this is all (laughs) we both do well this is a long way of me saying i actually really like this movie Mm. um i think it is a great david cronenberg movie that's kind of him like i like we were kind of talking about synthesizing all of these ideas that he has at once and all yeah. of these things that he deals with and, and at once. So you've got the psycho psychological aspect of stuff. You've got um, the, uh, uh, the psychosexual aspect of stuff. You've also got uh, the one thing that's fun about David Cronenberg movies is generally, even though he moves away from the body horror stuff, there's always one scene where he kind of yeah. just like flexes a little bit. Yeah. And yeah. There's got to be at least a little. Yeah. And yeah. this one has not only the uh, gynecological tools for working on human, uh, human, mutant women. <laughs> well, he does use them on human <clears throat> women. True. So, but it also has the dream sequence where yes. they are, uh, where the two twins are fused together. And then yes. uh, the, Claire. the Claire bites the thing. Yes. Yeah. It's beautiful. Cronenberg moment. <laughs> It's. I always love those moments in these movies because yeah. it's always it's the moment it's the moment where it's. I feel like it's him going. Don't worry, I'm still here. It's still a yeah. David Cronenberg movie. That's a good point. Um, but yeah, I think I and you know I think uh, Beverly and Elliot are two really fascinating characters. Yeah, especially fascinating David Cronenberg characters. Yeah, like that opening scene where they're kids <laughs> is really interesting because one of them is all about, oh, I just figured out what sex is about. And the other one is like, 
It sounds interesting. I would prefer it if I didn't have to touch anything. Right, right. You know? When they're talking about like, oh yeah, well, f- here's how fish reproduce. Like yeah. one of them lays the eggs and the other one comes by and fertilizes them and they don't even have to touch. And he, I think it's Beverly is like, great. Let's right. do it that way. Right. <laughs> Which is, I mean, it's it's a really interesting setup for two characters like this who who then specifically go into the, the field of gynecology yeah. And one of them takes advantage of it. Well, I guess they both take advantage of it. But like seeing how the two of them approach that and, you know, they're they're both clearly detached from yeah. human sexuality and women and stuff to the point where they can kind of look at them as uh, curiosities. Yeah. It's just I find it all very interesting as as a, as a story. No, it is. and And I do think that they're fascinating characters. And like, thank God somebody like Jeremy Irons was cast to do this because he's amazing in it yeah really really good like he is so compelling in a way that i was surprised like i was surprised that this is a two hour long movie and when you boil it down not a whole hell of a lot happens yeah yeah you know it's like they are working in their practice they meet claire they both sleep with her she gets mad at them Mm mm-hmm Beverly has a relationship with her. He his drug addiction gets really bad. Elliot tries to pull him out of it. Elliot gets pulled into it, mm-hmm. and then they die. Yeah, like that's pretty much the movie. Like, not yeah. there's not a lot of like action. There's no sort of MacGuffin that they're they're chasing right. down or anything like that. But there are still these surprising like. I think some of my favorite moments in the movie are scenes where it's Jeremy Irons talking to Jeremy. Oh, Irons. sure. Yeah. Um, I, did he win an Academy Award for this? No, I think he was nominated, but he didn't win it. And he was very much like, it's only because this isn't the like right, quote unquote, right kind of movie. Possible. Yeah. Because um, I definitely read a thing tonight where it talked about um, you know, Jeremy Irons was even like given two different trailers and two different dressing rooms oh, and yeah. two different wardrobes. Mm-hmm. And he was like, but they're essentially the same person. Yeah. So I'm going to just have one. And he kept swapping pieces of the wardrobes into other wardrobes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's such a great, like thoughtful idea because these guys do seem like they would do that. Yeah. Like, Hey, yeah. my, my Navy blue blazer is at the dry cleaner. Let me wear yours. And then it just never goes back or, it's like that, you know. but, you know, with girlfriends. But I think even with, I think with girlfriends and with clothes and with food and with everything else, like, I think that's part of the point is that they're so codependent that oh, if, yeah, you sever, if you sever them, one of them on their own is not a full person. Right. Yeah. They require the other half. Yeah. And what's, what's funny about this to me is like, I, th- this is almost... I don't want to say it's almost a romantic, almost a romantic comedy, but <laughs> there. I th- but by saying it like that, you essentially just got to say it. Yeah. <laughs> don't give away my tricks, Amanda. But this is a romantic comedy. Well, let me explain now myself. Now I'm wondering about your views on humanity <laughs> and women and sexuality. Well, what I mean is, what I mean is, like, I feel like there's another movie in here where, if traditionally the story be- becomes about the switcheroo that they pull on Claire. Yeah. You know, like we were joking that this is, this is the first like half of this movie is basically the prestige. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, there's even like a line of dialogue that's 
almost verbatim from the prestige, I should say, in the prestige that is almost verbatim from Dead Ringers. Yes. Where Claire mentioned she's like, you know, sometimes I really like you, but other times I really don't or something like that. Right, right. Yeah, she says something like, sometimes you're, I really like you and you're so sweet. And then other times you're just a fun lay. Right, yeah. And that's all you are. Yeah. And I don't know why that is. Yeah. And like, I think the normal, quote unquote, normal movie would focus in on that element of it the 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 three-way relationship oh yeah the love triangle would be the thing and it would be the two brothers competing with each other to win her over yeah that's what the traditional rom-com would be the the two twins who now have to learn to live on their own right would have a more positive outcome yeah it would almost become like a oh god what is the shakespeare is it 12th is it 12th night that's just everybody's swapping partners until they end up with the right person kind of thing. Sure. One of those. You know what I mean. Midsummer's yeah. Night's Dream. One of those two. As you like it. No. <laughs> I'm just naming. I'm just naming plays. You could have named anyone next and I would have said no. Yeah. Just <laughs> Henry V. Oh, yeah. It's that one. Yeah. Every, that notorious Falstaff romantic com- comedy. everybody in that play. That um, I would believe. But But like, you know, I feel like in that movie she is a bigger part and not that she's not a yeah. big part. The character is a very big part of the story, but sure. she is gone for like the whole middle of the movie. Yeah. She's, she's a big part of the movie in that she's the closest thing to an actual person in this movie. Right. <laughs> like for all of her flaws, like, like Claire is an interest. Claire is a really fascinating character. I actually really like her. Mm. Um, because, she does strike me as like a fully formed character on her own. She's mm-hmm. not just there to be a conquest or a love interest. Right, like she's right. got her own life going on. And when she realizes the sort of fuckery that like the twins are are kind of pulling on her, she's like, no, you're both awful. Like it's not like Beverly can't just blame Elliot because he's the more aggressive and assertive one. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, but you went along with it. Right. And you have free will. So you're both shitty. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and like she's got her own career and sure she does drugs as well, but she knows her limits and sticks by them in a way that neither Elliot nor Beverly understands how to do. And her whole her whole thing is Almost a movie's worth of character on its own. Yeah. That they just barely graze the surface of. Yeah. Like that line, her whole thing about about wanting to have children. Yes. Um, thinking, you know, the line I said about I can't have children when, I'm, when I die, I'm dead. That's, you know, like you said, in and of itself, a very explosive statement character-wise. Mm-hmm. The fact that she's got this, uh, they call it a mutation. Yes. Um, a trifurcated uh, uterus or yeah, cervix something or like something that. like that um and also the fact that she is uh dangerously promis- promiscuous yeah it's like that's enough character to carry a movie in and of it by itself right and then you add into the fact that she has a career and she's she has a successful career right like people know who she is she's clearly well regarded there's a whole debate about uh the next project she's going to do after this miniseries, her, her agent or whoever is like arguing with her, like, oh, you can't take this job. It's, it, you know, mm-hmm. it'll, there, it'll just, it's humiliating to take a job like this. And right. she says, well, I've decided that I want to be humiliated. Right. So like she's making her own career decisions on top of all this other stuff that's going on in her life. So it's, and, and she doesn't ever sort of give in 
to Elliot or mm. even Beverly. Like she loves Bev, but she's sort of like, no, I'm going to go. I have a job in another city. I'll, I'll be gone for a few weeks. I'll be back. Right. I'm going to go do it. Like, right. no, you can't come to the airport and cry at me. Yeah. You are going to stay here. <laughs> yeah. I think in, a, I think in the, in another movie, there is, she is there for more of the story in person yeah. instead of being there for the story, but just the, in the way that she is not there for the story, if that makes sense. Yeah. Be- she, she's interesting because she's like a catalyst for so much of what mm-hmm. happens, but she's not the cause. Right. Like, right. She triggers a bunch of stuff, but like, Ellie and Bev are the ones who do what they do right. while she's gone. Yeah. She's not saying to him, well, if you really loved me, you'd you'd sever all ties with your brother and never speak to him again. Like, there's never a moment like that. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if she even calls Ellie to her trailer on set and says, look, I really like your brother. I really care about him. So I figured we need to do our best to try and be friends. Yeah. And it's, you know, she's not trying to come in and blow up his life. She's just trying to continue leading her own. Yeah, yeah. And it makes him fall apart. Yeah. Because he doesn't understand how to not be codependent with someone. Right. And that's that's where the everything falls apart for for Bev is because instead of positioning her as, you know, the third point of a love triangle. Yeah. It's, well, I guess technically it's a love triangle, but the person at the the singular point in the middle that's being fought over arguably is Bev. Right. And even if, even if Elliot's not really do, yeah, yeah, no, you're, you're right. He, he's sort of the fulcrum in this weird arrangement where his behavior is, is the others are sort of just being pulled along by whatever he's kind of falling into. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because like, I feel like from Claire's perspective, She's kind of like, this doesn't have to be weird. <laughs> right. You guys are making this weird. Exactly. And then from their perspective, it's like, no, you're the weird one. <laughs> you have no respect for our thing. Well, that's that's like the the scene in the trailer that I love so much between um, Elliot and, and Claire. When she says, we should try to be friends mm-hmm. for your brother's sake. I really care about him. And he's sort of like, you know, but you add a difficult dynamic to the Mantle Brothers mm, saga. Yes. And he's very focused on him and, and Bev as a unit and then her coming in to their lives, their story. And he's like, well, maybe it would be easier if you liked me the same way you like him. Yeah. And that's kind of Elliot being like, yeah, this is this is how it needs to be. If you love one of us, you need to love both of us. And yeah. she's like, uh, but I don't. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I don't like you very much. And he's like, wait, does that mean we're I'm different than my brother? And mm. it like blows his mind. I find it so fascinating because it's not a matter of them both loving Claire. Right. It's a matter of one of them not really giving a shit. Yeah. But and the thing that breaks Beverly down is that he does love Claire and he yes. can't reconcile what that means yes because the only relationship he has ever known is his twin brother well he even they even say like if if it weren't for elliot kind of swapping plate like letting him swap places he's like you'd still be a virgin if we didn't do that right he's like it's arguable you could argue that he's not even really like interested in sex like actually having it yeah he's he's interested in ellie being interested in him having sex right like yeah. he will do it because 
Ellie wants him to do it and then he gets to go home and tell Ellie what he did. Right. And there's this whole like they There's that other line where Elliot says, Well, come on, you've never you haven't actually had sex until you've told me about it. Right. Yeah. Right. There, yeah, there's there's no experience that you've had. You haven't had an experience until you've told me about it. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's 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 a really fascinating dichotomy between the two of them because even before that, before he goes to Claire's apartment, Elliot says, if you don't go to her, I will. And I'll tell her I'm you and I will do terrible things to her. Mm. And Bev's like, well, uh, what kind of terrible things? Right. And then it like the scene cuts to him having weird That's surgical tube, tubing tube sex, yeah. sex question mark, question mark with Claire. And it's Something's like, happening. okay, so Elliot gave you kinky ideas. And then sent you off to go perform them. Right. And now wants you to come home and explain how it all went in detail. Right. Probably not something brothers typically do with one another. No, I, I don't think so. <laughs> but yeah, it's it is a it is a really fascinating movie that I so to to get back to the horror element of it. Yes, or lack thereof. Um yeah, I how, how do I'm only saying this because you said it yesterday. Uh Uh-oh. As a woman. (laughs) I got to write that in all caps. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, I find this terrifying to watch what what Bev does to people as he's having his breakdown. Yes. Like there's nothing, uh, you know, a a doctor who is unwell while performing surgery or doing anything to you is scary across the board but the fact that he's a gynecologist yeah makes it even scarier even for me oh i was gonna say please tell me no i, <laughs> I would like to hear i would like to hear you talk about it because like i mean you know yeah. i don't i don't want anything to do with that shit yeah 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 fish fish yeah. in the water i'm just gonna plug yeah. my ears when you talk about gross girl stuff gross girl stuff um oh yeah no are arguably the most horrifying parts of this movie are all of the medical parts. Yeah. Like, even early on, where it's, like, them kind of clearly setting up one of their patients to have sex with her. Mm. It's like you're taking advantage of this relationship where you have to be able to trust that doctor. Like, you're extremely vulnerable in front of them, and you're really, really relying on them to, to treat you respectfully and with dignity, and when they don't, that's a huge breach. Right. And then the scene, this the scene that's the more obvious, like, holy shit scene, uh, where Beverly is kind of deep in the midst of his drug problem, and he's using the, is it, do they call it a reticulator? Yeah, something like that. And it's, I'm pretty sure based on what it, what it, what we see in earlier in the movie is, it's the device if you're having, like, abdominal you're having surgery like through your abdomen or maybe mm-hmm. even like a hysterectomy or C-section like back in the day where they had to just go in through your, through your abd- right. abdomen rather than doing like endoscopic mm-hmm. surgery that holds you open. Yeah. I think like a like big, that. like so that somebody can stick their hands in you. Right. And yeah. he's using that on her genitalia. Yeah. And then is like, no, she's the problem. <laughs> Right, it's that's like, one, that is, arguably the most Cronenberg line ever written. Yes. Which is, the, the tools are perfect. <laughs> the tools it's are, the body yeah, that's broken. This is a solid gold mantle reticulator. Yes. It's high tech. Yes. Um, but yeah, that's that's really like, 
that is i think a, even though it's specifically like gyne- gynecologist in this movie i think that's relatable to so many people the idea that like you're in a doctor's office and you're vulnerable mm. and they're not listening to you yes if you're yeah. saying no really it hurts and i think like commonly like women get that a lot like they just in general it's oh, like sure. a lot of those things you go and you're getting an exam and you're like no, really, this hurts. And they're just like, you're fine. Right, right. And it's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> but I do think that happens to men and women in other situations. Like you go to your doctor and you say, like, look, I've been having back pain. My knee feels really fucked up. Mm-hmm. Like I'm having these headaches, whatever it is. And they're just like, well, have you been taking any Advil? And you're like, right. yes, I've been taking. <laughs> what do you mean? Um, But I do think like those are horrifying scenes less because of what you see and more just because they're such universally frightening experiences that lots of people have had. Right. But I don't know if I call them like horror scenes. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like how do you, how do you feel about, you know, going back to, to the running kind of uh, imagery and, and ideas that go through Cronenberg's movies. How, how do you feel about his use of something that is generally regarded as taboo mm-hmm. in sex, sexuality, specifically women's sexuality? Yeah. Stuff that traditionally, you know, civilized people don't talk about out in public. You know? mm. It's kind of kind of like what we were talking about. <laughs> It's kind of like what Uh-oh. we were talking about with Dead and Buried. You know how, <laughs> you know how, body postmortem is similar taboo to you know gynecology appointments. Yeah. Um, but you know what I mean, where it's like stuff that is not generally spoken of in polite company. A lot of people right. just don't like to think about especially it, especially back in the eighties. Yeah. You know, and and I think especially in a genre like like if you are somebody like Cronenberg who's coming off of The Fly, which is much more of a traditional horror movie even as you can argue all the ways in which his version is not, Mm -hmm. but it's still recognizably a monster movie. Mm -hmm. And then you, so like you're in the eighties and you're working in the horror genre. Most of your fans are going to be men. And the next movie you're going to make is about gynecologists. Right. And it's sort of like you've tricked this demographic in to coming into this movie. And it, I guarantee you there are many more dudes who got way more uncomfortable watching this right. than they did watching The Fly. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Not only because it deals with the, all the gynecological elements of it, but also there's a lot of like two brothers who clearly have some sexual tension going on. Oh, yeah. No, there's a lot of like, implied a lot incestuous uh, <laughs> homoerotic incestuous relationship yeah. of them just making eyes at each other across rooms i mean even more than that you've got the scene where yeah. he, uh bev is dancing with elliot's girlfriend yes and elliot elliot, <laughs> elliot comes basically they sandwich her yep like the roxbury guys and <laughs> elliot starts what a crossover <laughs> <laughs> the guys from night at the roxbury open would, a gynecology office i would like to see that or vice versa, <laughs> or vice versa. beverly and elliot are going out clubbing together <laughs> Um, and then he reaches over and puts his hands on her hands. Yes. And moves her hands all over Bev's body. Yeah. It's it's pretty fucking weird. Yes. And it's kind of, it. I mean, it's, Cronenberg just knows how to 
find the right uncomfortableness. Like he, yes. it's so it's so unique and so uncomfortable. Yeah, in a way that's just kind of hard to quantify. Yeah, it, it's this knee jerk. Because it's not like they're like fucking each other. No, it's no, like, that would almost be less weird. <laughs> right. Well, because then you could just write this off as some, you know, oh, some fucking weirdo yeah. made a crazy movie like this is all schlocky shock factor kind of stuff. And instead it's really like weirdly sincere from Elliot. Right. Like he really, yeah, he's not like, he, he he really is distressed by Beverly pulling away from him Mm -hmm. and doesn't know how to deal with it. And is like desperate to keep him in a way that it's sort of like, you sympathize with him almost and then that makes you feel even weirder about everything that's happening Mm. because you're like well he does actually seem to really care about his brother and he's trying to get him to kick the drugs and and all of the stuff so i mean that's good but also i think he i think something weird is going on well one of the other things that i think another movie does is i think i think in in a different version of this uh, Elliot, there's a there's a an a, a, a section of the movie where Elliot pushes Beverly away. Oh yeah, which they specifically don't do. Yeah, because what it, the whole story? It's not Beverly trying to figure things out. It's Beverly is trying to remove himself from this. You know, they keep constantly refer to each other as Siamese twins, even though they right. are not. But right. You know, like, yeah, there's the whole they, they psychologically or whatever. But. Yeah, and they sort of talk about is it Chang and Ang? Yes, the the two the first documented case of like physically joined mm-hmm. twins. Mm-hmm. Um, they constantly compare themselves to to that story. Yeah. But but yeah, there's no there's no moment or sequence where Elliot, out of frustration, pushes Beverly away when, when right. If he doesn't even realize what's going on with with Beverly because he's just disappeared. He's right. gone to live with Claire for a while. Yeah. And then when he finally does see what happens, he immediately is like, all right, let's figure this out. Right. And then when he can't figure it out, his his solution is, well, we are out of sync. We yes. need to get back into sync, which means I have to start doing drugs. Right. Right. Like, this wasn't really part of my plan. But yeah. if I can't get you to stop, it's better for us to be on the same trajectory mm. than for one of us to be okay and the other one to be falling apart right it's better if we're both falling apart yeah if we can't both be okay yeah um and it's really interesting because at no point like beverly is never trying to become a healthier person no that's not his goal in detaching from ellie he's he's like oh i, I want to detach from ellie so i can attach myself to claire mm-hmm that's the only way he knows how to operate. Right. Like he meets her and they sleep together and they end up in a relationship. And then he essentially moves in with her right away. Right. Cause he's just like, well, I'm going to go from Ellie's in my house to your house. Yep. And when you go off for work, I'm going to within a week have a total meltdown. Mm. <laughs> I will say <clears throat> she left for 10 weeks. Yeah. And seemingly didn't, I guess she tried to call him later. Yeah. But I mean, you got to call and say, hi, I made it. You know, like, I, well, maybe she did. And we just true. didn't see that. Good it point. seemed really soon yeah. after she leaves. Regardless of whether <laughs> she did or she didn't, 
They've also been dating for like it seems like three weeks. This is this is a uh, this is this is a a Brundle and and whatever her name is uh, length relationship. Yeah, they're going at that speed. Regardless of whether she did or didn't call him, yeah, he is so is inexperienced enough that if she's gone for more than like a day, yeah, he immediately goes to paranoia and you know where is she? When she called me, she calls he calls her. A guy picks up and he loses his fucking mind. Immediately. Right. Like there's no, and that's kind of why, you know, when, when we, when we did the the summary of this movie and we were laughing at the unintentionally deceives him, Mm -hmm. the unintentional deception, quote unquote, was that he calls her hotel room and a man picks up the phone. Right. And it's just like, that's it. She's there for work. Right. But he can't, he's never like, who is this? It's her, it's her secretary, right? It's like her assistant. Yes, I think so. Yeah. yeah. What is, what is, what is, he <laughs> she, she, defiantly gay? Defiantly gay. And you really, succeeded in disgusting him completely. Because yeah, really he good. talks in detail about her anatomy. Yeah. Yeah. See, like even that, it's like, it's even grossing people out in the movie. Yes. Like, <laughs> like even in the world of this movie, people don't talk this way oh repeatedly because yeah. there's there's a scene at the beginning where claire is meeting up with dr mantle whichever one of them it is mm-hmm. who did her exam i think at the time it's elliot but i don't know if she thinks it's elliot or Bever- whatever so she's at a restaurant with her agent and they're having this debate about her next project mm-hmm. and then the doctor is there too and she in the middle of the conversation she's kind of done with the conversation and the way she dismisses this agent is she turns to the doctor and she says well you know tell me about my cervix or tell me yes. about my uterus or yeah. whatever and the other guy is immediately like oh look at the time i'm gonna be late for that next thing goodbye and like skedaddles out of there as quick as he can yeah because they're talking about lady parts and you know that's honestly one of the things that i really like about this yeah and how i think it does differ from some of his other movies that might kind of dance around the same subject matter is i think in the other movies dance sensuously with (laughs) their brother in the living room around these matters i think the other movies um are him possibly working through some things that he doesn't understand. Yeah. Here, I don't think that he's doing this stuff because he's like trying to gross people out because it's like, yeah, lady parts are gross and weird, right? Yeah. Like he knows what he's doing because the characters in the movie are responding that way. Yes. Like the people, it is, it is a point of contention in the movie that, People are grossed out by this stuff. They probably shouldn't be, obviously. Right. But they are. Like, yeah. her frustration and using that as a weapon to get him out of there mm-hmm. is a perfect example of that, where she as a character is, you know, talking about perfectly normal stuff, but she knows yeah. that it's uncomfortable for people to hear. And I, it's, I, I really like that he is consciously doing that to the people in the movie. Yes. And the people watching the movie. Yes. Which makes the use of it a little bit more um, thoughtful yeah, than I, I think it could be. And I, I agree. And I think you're right in that I don't think Cronenberg himself is sitting there going like, yeah, ew, girl right. parts. Like, I think he's looking at it or at least trying to present it the way that a, a medical professional would. Like, mm-hmm. they use the correct terminology 
for the different parts of female anatomy. You know, they're not just like, there's not a lot of talk of like when they just call it the vagina mm-hmm. and all of it's the vagina. Like they're naming the different parts of what they're examining yeah. on her. And there's even like Ellie's giving a lesson and they're talking about fallopian tubes mm-hmm. and like, it's just medical science. It's right. just like a purely academic pursuit for these characters, yeah. like the actual medical part of it. And I think that, it, yeah, it's really interesting that they're talking about it in this clinical way. And all these side characters are sort of like, no, 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 I don't want to hear this. If he was talking about heart surgery, nobody would bat an eye. Right. Yeah. If we were talking about, you know, the left ventricle of her heart was whatever, everybody would just be like, oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, and I do, I do really appreciate him doing that stuff david cronenberg feminist hero yeah happy women's history month everyone (laughs) i think that's where we're ending up here but no i i do appreciate it because it is it is a a different it, it is it is a strange sort of like i think generally with him the idea is that like we said earlier the human body full stop is fucking weird yeah and kind of gross and it's amazing that it exists Yes. And yeah. I, I I think that he his use of this stuff is a very um it's just a such a conscious and, and I don't really know what else to say about it, but I just I, <laughs> I enjoy I, I like that he's doing it and I like that he's trying to make people feel weird in a very specific way. Yes. Yeah, in in in, in sort of playing on that societal knee-jerk sort of like Bleh, no we don't yeah. talk about that yeah because i mean it's like it's like watching this like yeah i'm sure he's these are all questions he has in his own mind and i'm sure yes. he probably has reacted this way as as well so it's, it's like, all women are mutants therefore yeah it's like <laughs> i remember i i think i was i forget what i was watching but it was an interview with um alejandro jodorowsky oh yeah who captain of the weird ship over there <laughs> But like he's a very eccentric person and gives very uh, animated, weird interviews. I can only imagine. And I just I remember one time he was talking about like how weird it is to have a penis. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. okay. and he's like, is that not the weirdest thing in the world? It's just like a thing that's hanging off and it gets bigger and smaller and you pee with. It. And it was just like, yeah. I mean, I've never thought about it specifically like that, but right. you bring up a good point. Yeah. Yeah, if you look at it all from like the abstract alien point of view, exactly. it's like, yeah. what the hell is that all about? Yeah. Um, what about the look of this movie? Because <laughs> you mean interiors by yes. Delia Dietz? Because Cronenberg movies are very interesting to me because they I've I have never thought of I should say before this one, I have never really thought of Cronenberg as a very like production design minded director. Mm. Uh, the fly looks great. Yeah. That, I, but I think that has a lot of like Hollywood gloss to it. Sure. In a way that his other ones don't. But like a lot of his older movies, because he shoots them all in Toronto, <laughs> just, like most of Scanners just takes place in like municipal buildings. I feel like it's such a weird. He has such a weird soulless kind of vibe mm-hmm. about yeah. like there's always something vaguely uncanny about all of his like all of the sets and the design in his movies like mm-hmm. like the interiors of, of places and the buildings like they all feel weirdly sterile yes even when they're over decorated 
they feel it feels like no one has ever actually lived in any of these places yeah yeah and like i mean this this one feels so overwhelmingly like 80s to me Mm. in all the styling that it's like hard sometimes to like i I found myself distracted by random shit in backgrounds sure where it's just like what the fuck is that statue (laughs) what is that weird fake flower arrangement you know like there was just so many things in it i was just like that it's distracting i legitimately didn't know what were sets and what were like actual locations they were shooting at everything felt like a set to me yeah which because but, none of but, it felt like a house a human would have right decorated like, that way like his hot like their apartment absolutely has to be a set uh, yeah i, I would I, hope I would, so i would think <laughs> but like that weird like faux marble comp, like room uh where they do that uh the award sequence when Elliot oh, gets yeah. the award like that feels like a set but i I, it probably isn't because that would be an incredibly expensive set to build. I would think. Yeah, and then I also had a problem where there were different times where I wasn't sure were they in their offices at the practice or were they in their home. Sure, I had yeah. a few different times where I was just like, "Wait, where are we?" Because I can't tell the difference between your gynecology practice space and your apartment. Yes, <laughs> like that tells you something right there. Yeah. But yeah, it's a very interestingly designed. I feel like this has more of a design to it than a lot of his other ones do. Yeah. Um, I mean, there is. I think the 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 surgical team all wearing blood red surgical gowns. Oh my god! Is probably the most um, the the strongest design I've ever seen him go with. Yeah. Because that's just like that's like out of. You know, Suspiria. Or yeah, Suspiria. <laughs> I, I, I was thinking of the devils for some reason, like because yeah. the, the 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 nun outfits are yeah, all very yeah, iconic robes. and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's like it's such a choice. Yes, that feels very unrealistic and very theatrical. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's the kind of choice, visual choice, that I feel like he doesn't make that often. Um, I totally agree. But that being said. It's fucking looks awesome. I mean, oh, yeah. that in and of itself is terrifying. Seeing all those, yes. you know, that's scary enough. On I would be like, please put me on, on under anesthesia before you all get your gowns on yeah. because I don't want to see that shit. Yeah. I don't want to make it look like I'm about to be sacrificed to a cult or something. Yes. Yeah. Um. Did you have any, uh, we're kind of rounding out. Did you have anything else you want to talk about? Um. Did you like this movie? <laughs> That's a complicated question. Mm-hmm. I I liked parts of it. I appreciate a lot of it, but okay. I don't think it's the sort of movie that I could see myself like rewatching mm. or even saying to people like who I I would recommend this to people I knew liked Cronenberg or liked mm. weird ass movies. Mm-hmm. But I this is not one of the movies where I would say to somebody like, oh, you know what? I think you should actually watch Dead Ringers. Like, I think you'd be into that. You don't just want to have like handful of people over Maybe no and i i don't cheese think and I... crackers and watch dead ringers <laughs> cheese and crackers and some barbiturates yeah yeah and maybe some what what is he what does he say oh god it's like percadan or something just because it's saturday yeah. one of those yes um when what... they at the end when they're both yes. all fucked up and they're listing their menu for the next week yeah. is pretty, yes is pretty funny. yes because they're going to they're gonna they're gonna go through the rest of the drugs and then on monday they're gonna kick 
They're going to be yeah. done. Yes. That's Fam- famous gotta, last word. They got to pull it, pull it together on Monday. I do the same thing every time I try to start a diet. <laughs> I thought you were going to say I do the same thing every weekend. Oh, well, technically, <laughs> I yes. I take all my drugs and I try to kick it by Monday so I can get to work. <laughs> But I, I do the same thing all the time where it's like, well, I mean, yeah. I'm going to start eating right on Monday. Yes. So. So Friday. I got three wings. birthday parties to go to <laughs> this weekend. So I'm just going to live it up. Um, I don't know. I guess I guess I do, I do have a couple things in my notes where I just kept saying that this is a really interesting movie to think about. I don't have a, like a specific point saying mm-hmm. this, but just in terms of movies we've watched already, mm. it's really interesting to put something like this next to whatever happened to baby Jane. Okay. Where there is that like codependent. Sure. Sibling relationship and how different, like, I think the differences between the two are what interested me when mm. I was thinking about it, where it was just like both of these sibling pairs cannot exist without the other yeah. and are who they are because of the other and can't escape one another. But they go in kind of totally opposite directions where like Elliot and Beverly are so codependent they think of themselves as one person. Mm-hmm. And Jane and her sister, whose name I'm blanking on, is is she a Blanche? I want to call her Blanche. Yes, I believe it's Blanche. I, I yes. think it's Blanche. Um, are so polar opposite mm-hmm. and have like essentially would disavow each other as, as quickly as they could. Mm-hmm. But in the end, they all kind of end up in the same place. Yeah, yeah. You know, where they have this, like, moment of regression. Because, mm. um, like, at the at the very end of, of Dead Ringers, Elliot is, you know, they're having a fake birthday party. And Elliot wants cake and orange pop mm-hmm. and cries because mommy forgot to buy ice cream. Mm-hmm. And, like, they both have sort of gone back to this idyllic childhood moment. And then they end up dead. <laughs> Yes, in a very, um, <clears throat> very, very f- interesting fashion, where yeah, they again they they have talked about themselves being Siamese twins. Yes, and I think Elliot even says something in that moment where he's like, "It's time to separate" or something like that. Yeah, and and they 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 are I think in that sequence they're referring to each other as Chang and Ang. Yes, yeah, and the. Seem apparently the only way they can do that is if one of them is dead, uh, which <laughs> yes. I mean, they are under the intense effects of drugs. So, yeah, but I, I've always I've always found this ending to be really, really interesting because I'm not really sure what to make of it. Yeah, um, I I do. I do like that. They essentially foreshadow it by talking about the the Siamese twins where he's mm-hmm. like yeah one of them died and the other one died from fright yeah <laughs> and it's like it's like a it's like a um it's like a a flashy story but yeah. the point of the story is that they couldn't exist with one couldn't exist without right. the other right and even though Bev and Elliot are not literally conjoined twins the same thing it's the same thing happens is yeah. they can't coexist. One of them can't coexist without the other one. I always thought the choice of the way that he kills him is weird. Like he, he just kind of like cuts him open. Yeah. He sort of just, I, I wonder if part of it goes back to his nightmare where they're joined in the abdomen. It's mm. almost like an umbilical cord. Maybe he's metaphor. Yeah. Maybe he's like in his drug addled brain. He's, 
cutting him yeah where where the metaphorical connection would be or something right yeah. right and 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 the the medical devices he made for quote unquote mutant women in the end he ends up saying they're actually for separating Siamese twins yeah that's what he ends up saying that they actually are yeah. so it's interesting what what kind of confused me at first was the fact that he so Elliot kind of volunteers to be killed, essentially. Yeah. Uh, Bev does it, climbs up onto the other table and passes out, mm-hmm. wakes up in the morning, debatably realizes that he's killed his brother, but also kind of just whimpers his name a bunch. I think he realizes it, but he's in denial, obviously. Right, yeah. in, in shock and whatever. Yeah. And then he pulls himself together. He mm-hmm. shaves and gets dressed and clean, you know, clean clothes and all of that. He packs a bag. He walks out like he's gonna go. So I get, I get for first I kind of didn't get why does he leave, call Claire, and then immediately hang up and go back. Mm-hmm. And I think I came around to the belief that it's sort of like Elliot was supposed to die so that he could go off and be with Claire Mm. and not have it be weird and complicated anymore. That's pretty short sighted. I know. Well, that's what that's look. Don't take drugs and make plans. Yeah. They never come out the way you want them to. Right. Um, Can't tell you how many businesses I didn't end up going into. (laughs) How many restaurants you didn't open. Exactly. Um, but so it's like, it, is it kind of just like he then realizes he can't do it? So he just goes back and ODs? I think, I don't know if, I think his, the manner of his death is left purposefully vague. Okay. Um, I think it is supposed to mirror the Chang and Ang where right. one of them had a stroke and the other one just died and they're like, he died from fright. It's like, right. Okay. Yeah. What does that Or sepsis. Like? Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, I think it's supposed to be. He's now on his own. He, and he just can't do it. Yeah, he takes the first step and realizes that he, he doesn't want to uh, yeah. after all that. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you came across this. Mm. Did you know that this is based on a true story? Yes. Very fascinating. Yes, but the true story is not nearly as sordid as this, it no, sounds like. It's... there's uh, there seems to be a lot more mystery to it right right where it was kind of like they were they there were twin brothers they were both gynecologists yes. i believe yep. um and they lived in new york city had good upbringings good careers and then and lived together lived in an apartment together mm-hmm. and then died like within days of each other or something yes uh on July 17th, 1975, the brothers were found dead in separate rooms of Cyril's, their names were Stuart and Cyril Marcus, Ooh. Uh, separate rooms of Cyril's Manhattan apartment at 450 East 63rd Street. The apartment was strewn with filth that had apparently accumulated over an extended period of time, much like in the movie. Hmm. Uh, suspected factors in the death include mental illness and a possible suicide pact. Oh. It was first assumed that the brothers had died of barbiturate withdrawal. But the final report excluded this. The original toxicological tox, toxicological report had been in error. Stewart died probably between July 10th and 14th of a barbiturate overdose. Cyril died between July 14th when he was last seen out of the apartment, apparently after Stewart had died on July 17th. His body showed no signs of the fatal convulsions accompanying narcotic withdrawal. Huh. So I think generally it's chalked up to drugs, but at least for one of them, who Question knows? mark. Yeah. yeah. Just he just went back in and 
laid on top of them and died. <laughs> no, separate rooms, Clay. Ah, right. Separate rooms. These uh, twin brothers were not in a homoerotic relationship. I. This is <laughs> a. It's a really fascinating story, though, and I can yeah, 100% see Cronenberg being like, yes. Yeah, because well, <laughs> there's so much ambiguity in there that yeah. you can kind of fill in the like, who were these people and what actually happened. Yeah. 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 I remember the first time that I saw Dead Ringers, I got very excited during this final sequence because knowing it was a Cronenberg movie, yeah. I thought he was turning the juice up. Uh. I thought I thought he was cutting him open because he was going to crawl inside of him. <laughs> and on my first viewing, I was very disappointed that that this, was not the case. This is why I don't understand why you don't like the NBC Hannibal show. This is why. Well, this is why, it's Clay. Because they, it's because the movie's not about two psycho murderer gynecologists fighting two other psychologists. I mean... I, to be fair, as I've said before, <laughs> I, I do need to go back and give that show another shot. Yes. Because I think I was not appreciating how weird it was going to be. Yes. And so... You, know, you just have to suspend. Yeah, you have to suspend your disbelief and pretend that this that show takes place in a parallel universe where serial killers are like just an endemic problem, like like a rodent problem. Yeah. 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 Sure. Why not? Yeah. Um. But yeah, I. Uh, where else to go? I, we kinda, <laughs> I think we kind of covered everything. Um. The music is by. David Cronenberg regular Howard Shore mm. who little uh, most well known as being the guy who did the music for the Lord of the Rings trilogy oh uh, shit he has done I believe <laughs> most well known by everyone but me yeah I believe he has done well he's one of those guys where it's like he's all over the place mm-hmm. but I you I think most famously he's probably known to most people as the guy who did the Lord of the Rings music. Yeah. But then you look into his stuff and he goes, oh, he's actually also done every one of David Cronenberg's movies. Huh. Then you go a level deeper and you find out he was actually the first musical director on Saturday Night Live. Wow. Yeah. What a career. I know. Jesus. Very varied career. It's always interesting to me when you find those people sort of lurking in the background of like so many projects where it's yeah. like, oh yeah, that person who did this. And also all of those, and also mm-hmm, all of mm-hmm. these, and also was a concert pianist at one point. You're right. like, what? With his music, though, I, especially in Cronenberg movies, the music never really sticks with me. It's never yeah. stood out to me and go like, oh, shit, great score from Howard Shore. It's always yeah. just kind of there. Yeah. In, yeah. In, in Lord of the Rings, it's such a, it's a very sweeping, and there's melodies that are that you recognize and stuff, but... In... I wonder, though, how much of that is like somebody like Cronenberg strikes me as somebody who wouldn't be overly concerned with the soundtrack and therefore yeah. would be like, yeah, I don't want any big flashy stuff. I just sure, want stuff yeah. to kind of bolster the mood of the scene and then quietly go away. Yeah, it's a, it's just another thing with Cronenberg that I find so fascinating is like sometimes I feel like he thinks the the trappings that come along with making a movie are just stuff he has to do. Yeah. <laughs> Like he's yes. like, yeah. I mean, I got to use the camera. I don't really feel like designing anything. Though. Yeah, characters have to have names and wear clothes. Yeah, I guess there's got to be music, but you know. Yeah. What I, I mean, I guess music. we have to light it. Exactly. <laughs> Find me the biggest mall cafeteria yeah. you can, so I don't have to light anything. <laughs> Fluorescent tubes forever. But yeah, like it's he's he's a very interesting. I actually kind of. I, I I find him similar to to David Lynch in that way. 
where David Lynch sometimes yeah goes all in on like visuals and cinematography and stuff yeah but other times his movies just look kind of flat like yeah like half of Mulholland Drive unbelievably shot the other half yeah. of Mulholland Drive just kind of looks like somebody had a camera at a Denny's. I think the difference is, though, that, like, with David Lynch, because he can go so far in the, like, kind of beautifully shot mm-hmm. or very, very well-constructed stuff, you then kind of wonder, well, is the other stuff really flat on purpose? Is it is it on, sure. is it flat to say something? Sure. Whereas with Cronenberg, I really think it's because he's like, no, 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 that's not the point. Right. That's not what I care about. That's not what's important. Right. This other stuff is what's important. Very possible, yeah. His movies tend to get better looking as they go. As so, his budgets get slightly more kind robust, of, yeah. maybe. Like, I think The Fly is a big turning point as far as, yeah. like, visually looks really good. Dead Ringers looks great. Um, the later movies, like Spider, is really interestingly shot. And, mm. uh, you know, History of Violence and, and uh, Eastern Promises are yeah. both really interesting movies. Yeah, visually. I still can't believe he did Eastern Promises. I know that he he has really weird movies. Yeah. That you go, oh, yeah, that movie. and Yeah. Um, I, I didn't bring this up earlier. What do you think about the names, Beverly and Elliot, that they specifically call out that one of them is named after it has a woman's name? Yeah, I, I sort of wonder. I'm of, <laughs> funny enough, I'm of two minds about this. Mm. Um, I, I kind of wonder if it's almost a little bit of they're sort of doing the masculine, feminine, yin and yang sort of thing where it is like they are like, two sides of the same coin so therefore if one of them is the assertive masculine okay. presence the other one is the more emotional feminine presence mm-hmm. like i could see that reading i could also see it kind of just being a little bit of a red herring okay like something to just make beverly insecure because he gets really <laughs> mad about it exactly it yeah, yeah yeah it like really touches a nerve with him and I, I, I do think it's connected to the fact that he is the sort of like sensitive subordinate one. Mm. And there is this like feminization of him. He cries a lot. He's mm-hmm. very emotionally needy and clingy. Mm-hmm. He's moody. Um, he has bad impulse control. Like he's kind of ruled by his appetites at any given moment. Um, he's sort of forced in, to stay in the home. Mm-hmm. Like he's domesticated in a way that Ellie isn't. Ellie goes out and and gives speeches and presentations and lectures at at universities, and and Bev is supposed to stay and kind of keep keep the fire and the hearth stoked. You that's, know what and I that's mean? what you're saying. Women should be doing. Well, that's the stereotype, and I, 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 I think mean, just but that's what you're so that's what you're saying. Sounds like that's what you're saying. I, Liz, it's your words, not mine. I mean, they sound like your words, though. But we I'm are synchronized. <laughs> You don't understand. Um, yeah. Yeah. I wonder if it has something to do with like, that's the, I think everything you just said is correct. Um, <laughs> but I, I, you know, I also wonder if it has something to do with like, that's the biggest difference between the two of them is that he oh, has yeah. a, a much different name. And just the fact that he has a different name like that is enough for him to get free. You know, I don't know. It's probably, yeah. I think it's probably all of those things. Yeah. Because yeah, he definitely is. They are presented very differently as far as Elliot is much more of a traditionally masculine type yeah and Beverly is much more of a traditionally fem- feminine feminine fem- female fem- feminine lady <laughs> he's a very traditional lady yeah yeah he's but the one th- that acts like a broad but I think you're right I think I think it would be really different if if they were Elliot and Edward yes yeah. you know like that that would be a different 
dynamic that would sort of it put them on even more equal footing where it is sort of like yeah having having the uh more meek twin be named beverly it's sort of like a nature versus nurture thing then you're Mm. like is he the more meek twin because he just is and he happens to be named beverly or is he the more meek twin because he was named beverly (laughs) right right it is it does bring to mind how many you know stories that i've heard of people of men who were raised as how many it's like three um most the one that stands out to me is hp lovecraft oh yeah when he was growing up he was raised essentially as a girl yeah um his mother made him wear wear girls clothing and all this kind of stuff and i wonder if 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 there's because it doesn't doesn't beverly actually make a joke about that kind of he, Where he's he, like, my mother wanted girls, and so I had uh, that. Yeah, it's it's when um, it's when Claire is kind of saying like, so why are you named Beverly? Like, yeah. what's that all about? You're, yeah. It's a woman's name, and he's like, well, no, it's spelled different. And she's like, well, I mean, you're still named Beverly though. What's your brother's name? Like Melissa, or you know, like she says something like that, and and based on IMDb, it's not spelled differently. <laughs> and then um, yeah, Beverly goes off on like what are you trying to say that I, mm-hmm. that that makes me gay or that my mother only really wanted girls? Like, what is this bullshit? Like yeah. he gets, he gets really mad at her. Yeah. Yeah. I, I it's, I, I'm surprised that he's Cronenberg's never made a movie about someone like that. Who a was a boy named Sue. Yeah, basically. Cause it <laughs> seems like it's right in the pocket of the thing that he'd be fascinated by. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all around very, I think there is so much to talk about. In this. Yes. Like there's so many different like we like yeah. I said, we could do we could have done an hour just talking about Claire. Absolutely. You yeah. Know? It's yeah. it's a really fascinating, really interesting movie. But Yes. The question at the end of the day. Uh-huh. Does the placement on the the list work for you? Do you want it to be higher, lower, or I can tell by your face? The answer is you probably would like to take it off the list. Correct. Interesting. I don't know. It's it's it's. I know, like, I, I get it. I'm I'm not sure because, how I feel about it. Yeah, and I I know this this movie is very beloved by the people who like it, mm-hmm. and and I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I I really enjoyed it. I think it's extremely well done. Mm. But it's sort of like just because something is 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 upsetting or frightening or difficult to think about, I don't think that makes it a a horror movie mm. in the genre of like, horror like eating sushi <laughs> i don't know what you mean by that it's horrible it's terrifying to think about why <laughs> i'm confused i think sushi's delicious no i do too. um but it's kind of like you know when 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 you watch a movie about the holocaust mm-hmm. which i do frequently all all the time you constantly have them on but the, they're they're horrifying yeah they're horrifying right. to, to watch to think about just just in general like like it, 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 horrific it doesn't even begin to describe it mm. but they're not horror movies right right and so i keep thinking with this one i really do compare it a lot in my head to american psycho where mm. i'm like if we were both really reluctant for american psycho to be on this list mm. why does this one qualify so much more unequivocally well if we're going by <laughs> wes's standard of Horror usually means a supernatural element of some sort, some form, 
which doesn't need to necessarily be literally supernatural, but supernatural in like the larger sense of supernatural. So okay. not necessarily ghosts, but like an element that may as well be supernatural. Does that make sense? Sure. Michael Myers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah basically. Yeah. Um, I, I almost feel like the, the Cronenberg element is the supernatural <laughs> element. His just overarching vibe. Yeah, like the dream sequence. Like you're not going to yeah. see that in like a drama. You know, you're not. <laughs> but you, it, it's you, such I mean, a. If you did, I'd watch it. <laughs> it's it's still. I know thematically that scene's really important, but it's still such a small piece of yeah. a much bigger movie. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not trying to argue that it's fully not a horror movie at all. Like, oh, sure. I think, no, totally. Like psychological thriller, psychological horror, just completely unquantifiable if you want to go in that direction. Sure. I just have a tough time with it on this list. Yeah. Like, should this be on the list over a movie like Starry Eyes? No. Well, I guess I think the thing I have to do is I have to remove David Cronenberg from the equation. Yeah. Because, like, I I feel like his stuff is so weird and is so much its own thing that it kind of, like, if you have yeah. to pick a basket to put it in. Yeah. And and I, I think, you know, you, you made a great point about sort of, like, the way you put this movie in context with all of his other movies mm. and how it is sort of him chewing on the same themes and issues and, like, evolving Mm. those things like if you're looking at it contextually in that way i can see why you'd put it on this list yeah but if you're just looking at this movie mm. yeah i know we're out of sync i know one of us is gonna have to die <laughs> yeah i guess no i i don't disagree with you hooray i guess i'm just <laughs> the, maybe maybe the supernatural element is the human body <laughs> Good night, folks. She is. A, she's. She does have. She is a trificate, which is. I don't know if that's something. Is that can that actually happen? I don't. I even have know. no idea. I don't think so, but I have no um, idea. Yeah, it's tough because I think it's too. It's too diff. This is so much a David Cronenberg movie that it's very difficult for me to remove that. Yeah. from the discussion. Yeah. But I don't disagree that in the grand scheme of horror movies, I don't think I would put this on the list. If I was, if someone was going to say name two hundred horror movies, <laughs> would I would I use would I say this as one of the movies? Probably not. Yeah. The, there's, I would probably say a lot of other Cronenberg it's, movies. It's really painful for you to sort of admit that this maybe it, well, doesn't it, belong no, it's, here. It's not. It's pain only painful because honestly, I don't know why it's painful. Hmm. Like there's something that I find unnerving enough about this movie that I'd be like, yeah, that's just, I would call it a horror movie. But at the same time, it's like Videodrome is extremely weird and supernatural. I don't yeah. really know if I'd call Videodrome a horror movie. Right. I I don't really know what I would call it. My, I guess it's probably closer to science fiction. But I was going to say, and I think that's maybe part of what we're both struggling with is yeah. just the Cronenberg of it all, where yeah. it's kind of like genres just don't apply. Yeah. There's just not a, a, a clear bucket for it. So here well, it goes. For the sake for the sake of people listening, so we don't spend 45 more minutes yeah. listening to me hemming and hawing over this 
I am going to say, uh, yeah, okay. I don't think it's a horror movie. Ha <laughs> ha! I win. Okay. <laughs> it anyway. would be it would be on your three hundred best horror movies yeah. of all time list. Yeah, it's just so like. It's so tough, though, because, like, there's so yeah. many, even on this list, there's so many movies where I would be like, I would put Dead Ringers on this, even movies that are more horror movies. Yeah. I don't know why. I just think it's, I think you're right. I think it's just the David Cronenberg of it all. Yeah. Where it's like, it's got to go somewhere. It's not going on the Rotten Tomatoes 200 best dramas of all time. <laughs> yeah, no. Or thrillers of all time. You know, it's right. like, it's, I don't know where you put it. Um, yeah. And 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 the struggle is it's a good enough movie that you feel like it should be on one of those lists. Yeah. So. So let's. I don't think it belongs here. Yes. But if it needs a place to stay, the door is open. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, that's gonna do it for Dead Ringers. Uh, I hit the randomizer button. Beep boop boop beep boop 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 beep boop. And next time. Um, we'll be continuing on a similar theme. Well, not really, but uh, it's sort of like- More a, twin gynecologists. No, uh, we will be doing a movie called, it's number 196, called It's Alive. Oh. Which is a monster baby movie. Huh. Yeah. Uh, I've never seen it. It's by yeah. Larry Cohen, who is a well-known kind of schlocky filmmaker. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. The trailer is hilarious. All right. Um. It's going to be a good watch, I think. I think we're going to have fun with this one. All right. I'm excited. But uh, uh, thank you guys for listening. If you want to support the show, you can go to uh, patreon.com slash the Penske file. Join our Patreon where you can listen to Amanda and Mize. What's the correct grammar there? Mine and Amanda's, I guess. Amanda yeah. and Mine's. Our coverage. <laughs> there it is. Of the... <laughs> Friday the 13th series that we did all last year. This year, we're doing the second string of Stephen King films. Uh, so the Stephen King, a bunch of Stephen King movies that are not on our main list. January was It Chapter 2. February was Silver Bullet. March was slash is Salem's Lot. Yes. And we'll be going on from there. It's very fun. You'll have a good time. Uh, and on top of that, there's all sorts of other stuff to listen to. There's more podcasts than you could possibly listen to in a human lifetime. <laughs> So you'll need your twin brother to listen to half of them and then tell you about them. Yeah. Uh, But thank you guys for listening. Thank you for for supporting the show. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Clay. And we will see you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye.